Welcome to the Awakening Church Podcast. We exist to awaken this generation to new life in Christ. Thanks for tuning in. To find out more, go to awakeningchurch.com. This morning we're continuing on in our series, The Habit of Grace. And this is a deeply personal series for me I was sharing last week because it's out of some things I've been learning for the last six months. In fact, if you missed last week, I'd encourage you to go back and listen. You can go, we podcast it, we live stream it, it's on our website. There's lots of different ways to listen to it, but go back and listen to that. Uh, as you just share, my journey has been a, actually a pretty difficult, especially physically, time for me. I've had three concussions and five months, and so I would love for you to listen to that. And as I shared my journey on that, um, there's been one verse that's been an anchor verse, one sustaining verse that I've been clinging to the last six months, and it's where God is actually speaking to the Apostle Paul in a particularly difficult season of his life, and he's crying out for God to deliver him and take it away, and God doesn't answer it the way he wants um, him to answer the prayer. He, he says, instead of taking it away, I actually want to transform your perspective and your experience of me. And God says this to the Apostle Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. I don't know what you walked in with this morning. I don't know the challenges, the um, struggles, the temptations, the the feeling of overwhelmness, the anxiety, the depression, whatever you walked in with that you're just trying to make it through. And God says, whatever you're walking through right now, here's my promise to you. My grace is sufficient for you. I'm going to meet you right there. You're like, but I feel so weak. And he says, my power, my strength is actually perfected in your weakness. That is the paradox of the Christian life. When we're weak, when we admit, I can't, we then are in a position to experience the God who can. And so this idea of the habit of grace is birthed out of this. Because when we think about grace, we think about grace this way. And this is what I'm calling the big idea of the entire series. We think about grace as grace being an event we experience. And we get this, um, that grace, and here's the big idea, is more than an event to be experienced. Now, grace, we, we understand it when it's like, okay, I gave someone grace, or I received grace. That's that event. But biblically, grace is more than that. It's beautiful, it's wonderful, we're going to unpack that in just a second, but grace is not just an event to be experienced, grace is also a habit to be embraced. So it's more than just this moment of giving and receiving, biblically, grace is actually a way of living, a way of life, a way of going about life. Let let me unpack this for you. Grace the event. Grace the event is you are saved by grace. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved, and this not of yourself. It it is a work of God, not by works, so that no person can boast. Like, grace is simply getting what we do not deserve, getting life, getting salvation, getting forgiveness. Grace, you can't earn it. Grace, it's free. Uh, Grace is God pursuing you and your good. It's his undeserved, unearned favor towards you. And the minute you cry out and respond to the finished work, it's grace. And you did nothing. He did 
everything. And it's the event that moves us into the family of God. And for many, this is where our understanding of grace stops. I received grace, and now I'm left to figure out this life. And God says, no, no, no. It's not just an event to be experienced, and that is powerful. And we're going to talk more about that. It is also... It is also a habit, a way of life to be embraced. Dallas Willard's definition of grace is this. He says, grace is God acting in our life to do what we cannot do on our own. Grace is God empowering your daily activities and moving so that you're able to do what you cannot normally do on your own. It says, grace is this companion that Paul's talking about. My grace is sufficient for you. Like, I'm going to meet you in the moments when you feel like you can't do it. My grace is going to empower you to do what you cannot do on your own. One theologian said it this way, the grace of God is not only the beginning of the Christian life, I love this, it is the beginning, the middle, and the end. We are invited into a life empowered by the grace of God. Now, if you're wrestling with that and going, okay, well, that's great. If grace, you can't earn it, you don't deserve it, it's his undeserved favor towards us, it's like God acting then what do I do? Do I do, I do nothing? Do I just kind of sit back and maybe the Christian mantra, instead of let go and let God, it's let go and let grace. <laughs> you know, whatever. I just, you do it, and I just kind of hang on, hang on here. We're just hanging out. Me and God hanging out. Okay, God, you got to do it. And we're going to discover that the Apostle Paul is going to invite us to develop a habit of grace. There actually is a part for us to play in developing this habit. And so how do you develop a habit of grace? How do you allow grace to impact your daily life? Where it's not just this idea out there, but it's actually something tangible. When you wake up tomorrow, like you're living and stepping and leaning into grace, and you're walking out of grace. If you got your Bibles, would you open them up to... 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Last week we were in 2 Corinthians. It's actually, 2 Corinthians is not necessarily Paul's second letter to the church in Corinth. It's probably his third. We are actually missing a letter. We can talk about that later uh, if you want to dive deeper into that. But this is his first letter to this church in Corinth. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul gives us this picture of how we can develop this habit of grace in our lives, how we can walk or live out the daily empowering of God's grace. And here's what he says. Verse 10, chapter 15. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Like God's grace has imparted a new identity. And notice this. And his grace to me was not without effect. It wasn't in vain. It, it, it motivated and fueled and changed me. No, I worked harder than them all. I actually, I put in more effort. Well, who are them all? He's actually talking about other apostles. He <laughs> says, I worked harder than them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. 
that as I worked and as I strived, it actually was the grace of God with me, the companion along the journey that is infusing and empowering every step along the way. I can say I worked harder than them all, but actually it was grace carrying me through that I was able to do that. And what we find and discover in this text is what I call the habit of grace loop. There is a way that grace is developed in our life. And in fact, there's a way that our actions are developed and who we are are developed. It's this feedback loop. And Paul's going to unpack that. In fact, if you'll do this just with me as you're taking along uh, notes and you have it in your bulletin there, by the grace, circle the word grace. We've been defining that. I am what I am. Underline I am what I am. His grace, circle that word again. And then not without effect, not without effect. And then go, no, I worked harder than them all. And then you can circle grace again, but the grace of God. We see three things that develop this habit of grace in our life. And I want to put it in this loop so you can understand how it works. And so the habit of loop, uh, the loop, uh, the habit of grace loop, thank you very much, next slide, um, it goes, it's like this. It begins with our identity, who you are, who you think you are, what labels others have placed on you and what labels you have placed on you, your identity. Everything actually begins here in how we live out our life. Would you put a number one right by that? Because this is the starting point, who you are. I am, and then you can just put a blank in that. What's fascinating, and we'll talk a little bit about this, is um, Gen Z and millennials love to label themselves. Gen Xers hate labels. Did you know that? That's why they're called Gen X. That's why I stayed with them, because they didn't want a label on them. Don't tell me who I am. You don't put me in a box. And then we live now in a world where it's like, no, I am this. I am that. I, oh, we in, like, instinctively want an identity, and we're not really sure which identity. So we take on all these identities. And so our identity then moves to our motivation. So if you move from who I am, then we move to the motivation of why I do what I do. It's what fuels you. It's where the Apostle Paul says his grace was not without effect. It's the whole idea of, okay, my identity then fuels and feeds the motivation for why I do what I do that produces my activity, what you actually do. Now, here's what's fascinating. Your activity feeds into your identity. And so the things that you're doing reinforce whatever identity or label that you have embraced. Let me give you a couple of negative examples. You're like, awesome, let's start with negative. Well, these are ones that we, identities that I think many of us carry. A negative example would be an identity of feeling, I am unworthy. I'm not valuable. The motivation then for your life is to prove your worth to find and get approval from others. Then, then the activity is this working tirelessly for others' approval to validate you. And so you're constantly saying, love me, tell me I'm worthy. Did, that, did what I do, was it good? Was it good? Was, am I okay? And so your activity is this incessant pursuit for someone to approve of you. And then when they approve of you, if 
or disapprove of you, it feeds back into your identity. I'm unlovable, another one. It's one where you say the motivation from identity, I'm unlovable, to um, I need to earn love. That's the motivation. I, I have to do whatever it takes to be loved. And for some, this goes in two different ways. For some, um, you're like, I'm unlovable and nobody wants me. And so then you, this belief leads you to go, okay, I'm going to act as if nobody loves me. And you push people away. And then that feedback is you're not actually very lovable. And so people don't treat you the way you're hoping. Like they, you want to be pursued and you're like pushing them away, but I want to be pursued. And it feeds back into your identity as I'm unlovable. And for others, it's I will do whatever it takes for you to love me. And you do things that you would never want anyone else to do. You would, you would never prey upon anyone else just for someone to give you some positive reinforcement that you're lovable. Maybe it's I'm not enough. You have this identity, I'm not enough. <sighs> I got to measure up. So your motivation is I have to work to be enough. I have to somehow be successful. And so your activity is all around performance. I have to do and meet certain standards for, to feel good about myself. See, our identity feeds and fuels our motivation and then moves to our activity and what we do. Uh, James Clear, he's the author of Atomic Habits, great book if you are fascinated by how habits work. He writes this, your behaviors are usually a reflection of your identity. Isn't that cool? I mean, just think about this. The Apostle Paul wrote this 2,000 years ago, and now we have a book 2,000 years later talking about what the Apostle Paul wrote 2,000 years ago. Your behaviors are usually a reflection of your identity. What you do is an indication of the type of person you believe you are, either consciously or unconsciously. So how how do we develop this habit of grace loop and replace, for many of us, a loop that is destructive. A, a loop, you know, we, we have the habit of unworthiness. We have the habit of guilt. We have the habit of condemnation. We have the habit of isolation. We have the habit of just wanting others' approval. And how do we begin to embrace a new habit? And let me say this. In this text, we are invited into a process And so what you're going to learn is a process, not a pill. What we want with the Christian life is a pill. I show up to church, I get this information, I take it, boom, everything's done, and I move on my merry way. And what we're invited in is into the transformational process of God of how he changes us from the inside out. And so, developing the habit of grace, first, grace gives you a new identity, The grace of God gives you a new identity. By the grace of God, I am what I am. Now, some of you just went and said, I just found my new life first. I am what I am. It's in the Bible even. How great is that? Like, I am what I am. Don't change me. I am what I am. Don't tell me how to live my life. I am what I am. You you don't have any right over me. Look at me. I'm just going to be me. I'm just going to do me. 
Um, that's not what Paul's saying, by, by the way. You're like, no, 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 by the grace of God, it's me. Well, read verse 8, and then let's talk. See, context determines meaning, and we rip it out of context. We redefine its meaning. Verse 8, if you're following along in your Bibles, you can flip back. Paul says this, and this is in the context of uh, Paul reminding the church in Corinth about the gospel that Jesus came and he died and he rose again and then he appeared to all these eyewitnesses and he appeared to Peter and James and John and then he's talking about how God appeared to him, that Jesus appeared to him and he says this in verse 9, for I am the least of all the apostles and do not deserve to be called an apostle. Why? Because I persecuted the church of God. Now this line is powerful. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. See, Paul's not saying, it's just me. Accept me. Paul's saying, when he encountered the risen Savior he was transformed. He once was a persecutor of the church, and now he's an apostle. And he's like, it's all grace. I don't get it. I don't deserve it. I don't understand it. But my identity has been changed completely. God is in the process of changing your identity. And those labels and things and beliefs that you put on, he says, I have given you a new identity all because of grace. John Stott says it this way. Grace is God loving, God stooping, God coming to rescue, God giving himself generously in and through Jesus. It's God going, okay, I'm going to take you and move towards you, not to leave you where you're at, but to help you and make you something brand new. Let me give you an illustration because I think we wrestle with this. Sixteen and a half years ago, my wife and I, we got married. We stood up before an altar. My dad was actually the one who performed the wedding. And in that moment, we said, I do. And at that point in time, I had an identity change. I moved from being a bachelor to being a married man. From singleness to oneness with a woman. Now, oh, whoa, that's weird. <laughs> now, here's the problem. Though my identity changed from single to married, bachelor, now, now I brought all my old habits into my new reality. I brought all my single bachelor habits into this new marriage. So much so, my wife, and I'm still learning, still learning. My wife said, Ryan, you don't know how to talk to a girl. Like, okay. Well, part of it, being a bachelor, I just talk to guys all the time. My, you know, grew up mainly was with brothers. I have a little sister, but there's such a gap. And then when my roommate, Steve and I, we grew up together, and then we're roommates in college together, and I mean, just take for a small example, uh, in our dorm room, if the trash needed to be taken out, I'd say, Steve, hey man, take out the trash. And he would. And then he would say, hey Ryan, do this. And I would. And then I got married. 
I remember this. So we're in an apartment in downtown Chicago. I remember saying, hey, Jenny, take out the trash. <laughs> and like I broke her heart <laughs> and hurt her. She's like, how could you talk to me like that? I'm like, what do you mean? How can you, the trash needs taken out? What do you mean? And then she would say stuff like this to me. Would you like to take out the trash? And I said, no. I don't want to. There's nothing in me that would like to take out the trash. You see, I transferred into a new identity, but I brought old habits that were no longer congruent with my new identity. And as a result, I I experienced friction. And it's been a season of learning how to live out a new identity as a married man, as a husband. And this is the process you are in. This is the reason that passage where the Apostle Paul talks about, therefore you are a new creation, the old is gone. You so wrestled with it because your new identity is present case, uh, present tense reality true of you, but you brought in old habits, old way of thinking, old identities attached that you are living out. And what we have to do is we have to renew our mind with the reality of who God is and what he says is true of us and learn how to live out this new identity. That is the habit of grace. Grace invites you and two, not invites you, doesn't invite you, gives you a new identity. Let me tell you a few things that are true of you if you are in Christ. If you got your Bible, flip over to Ephesians chapter 1. And I'm just choosing one little passage here. We could, we could do this all day long. But I want you to begin to understand you are a new person with a new identity, with a new last name in Christ. This is present case uh, true of you. Now, the book of Ephesians, it... Um, It's broken up really into two parts. Uh, Theologians call chapters 1, 2, and 3 the indicative, and chapters 4, 5, and 6 the imperative. And the reason for this is the indicative, the Apostle Paul for three chapters, is going to tell you what's true of you in Christ. Indicating, think about this. This is indicating and telling you what is already true of you. This is your reality. This is what Christ accomplished for you. This is true of you. And then chapters four, five, and six. In light of what's true of you, the imperative, how will you then live? What does it look like to live in a way that's true with your new identity in Christ? And so he begins this way in chapter one of Ephesians and says that you first have every spiritual blessing in Christ. Notice what he says. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And some of our identities, maybe because how you grew up, maybe because um, some things in your life, you're like, I'm not enough. I have a scarcity mentality. I live at a deficit. I have a shortage. You you are wondering like, okay, I, I just am trying to eke by. And God says, your new identity is that you have every spiritual blessing in Christ. You live from abundance, not for abundance. You have, this, you have this reality in Christ where God says, all that I have is yours. All that I have is at your access. Imagine if you began to walk throughout your day and with this confidence like, man, today, in this moment, because of what Christ has accomplished on the cross and my stepping in to the grace that he has extended to me, I have every spiritual blessing in Christ. I'm blessed. I'm blessed. I'm blessed. Why? 
Not because I did anything, but just because God poured it on over and abundantly. And then he goes on, chapter, uh, verse 4, and says, You're chosen. He says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world, what? To be holy and blameless in his sight. Like, God says, I choose you. I want you. I like you. I love how Max Lucado says it. He says, there's something in you that God loves. If God loves you, think about this. You must be worthy of love. God says, I chose you. I want you. I love you. And some, the... the, the words that have been ringing in your head, maybe as a moment on the playground. Isn't it amazing how we live out things that are 20, 30 years old? And for some, you're like 10 years old. You're like, huh. I was standing at the playground and nobody wanted me. I was always the last kid. And I was the, like, well, we got to take him. I guess I got him now. Maybe it's the promotion and you just keep getting passed by. Maybe it was a relationship and you chose that person and they didn't choose you back. A friendship. Maybe your spouse walked out on you. And so there's this longing and this hurting and desire. God, like, like, I just need to be needed. And God says, guess what? You're chosen. God chose you. You're precious to me. You're wanted. You have every spiritual blessing. You're chosen. You're adopted. I am adopted into the family of God. Notice what verse 5 says. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonships through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. I have every spiritual blessing. I am chosen by God, like wanted, hello, and then I'm adopted into the family of God. And we've been searching, and you've been searching, and you've been wanting, and one of the great longings of the human soul is to belong, and hoping someone will say, you belong to us, you're a part of us, join our tribe, join our squad. And God says, join my family. Join my family. I want you. I adopt you. And it's irrevocable. There's nothing you can do that will undo my adoption of you. You're my kid. You're my son. You're my daughter. You're my delight. You have a new name, a new identity, and you have new access because you are adopted. I am adopted and I am redeemed. Notice what he says, verse 7. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. To redeem means to buy back. When you declare, I am redeemed, it's saying, I am worthy and I am valuable. Well, how valuable are you? You're so valuable that the God of the universe would come and pursue you, take on flesh and die for you, give up his life so that you might have life and be in the family of God. You are so valuable. You should never wake up a day in your life feeling worthless, unvaluable, unwanted because God's the God of the universe. By the way, his opinion matters way more than whatever someone's saying on Instagram. 
Like, like he's going, no, I don't care what they're writing about you. I don't care what those friends are saying. I don't care about any of those things because it's not true. Don't take that on. Don't embrace that. And because what we do is we embrace that as true, and then it becomes our motivation, and we act out of that. And he's saying, no, 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 you have a brand new identity. Get your mind set on who you really are. I am redeemed. Well, what about my biggest failure? I am fully and completely forgiven. No shame, no guilt, no condemnation. In the family of God, you're not a failure, you're forgiven. Wipe clean. Friends, that's five verses. It's a big book. God has a lot more to say about who you are. And yet, what we buy into our identity is all these things that, it's these streams coming into our lives, whether it's from a friend or from a mentor or from a movie, and I have to be enough, I have to do enough, I'm unworthy, and God's going, no. Grace gives you a new identity that then fuels your motivation. Apostle Paul would say, his grace to me was not without effect. Like, it changed me. It motivated me. Grace should motivate you. When you're going like, man, this is what's true of me. I'm inspired. Like, it, it makes me want to want God more. In fact, let me just give you a shorthanded way of understanding this idea of our identity and motivation that's been really helpful for me. So we can grasp this. Uh, the shorthand way of saying it so that you'll carry it with you is for, not from, as a result, from, not for. All right, you ready? Say it with me. For, not from, as a result, from, not for. Didn't that clear everything up? You're like, of course. No, I get it. Wow, I'm so motivated right now. Thank you very much. <laughs> I got it. No. All right. God wants something for you more than he wants something from you. That's grace. That's your identity. Imputed, placed upon you a brand new identity. As a result, you live from blessing, not for blessing. Because of grace, you don't live from approval. Like I somehow have to work and earn my way to be approved. You live from approval, not for approval. You live from be, uh, belovedness, not for belovedness. You live from acceptance, not for acceptance. Like you live from a standing, and so everything flows from that. Let, let me go back to that uh, chart and just unpack this in the idea of our relationship with God. If you have an understanding about your relationship with God that has this identity of religion... Like I'm in a deficit, and so I live under guilt. My identity is guilt. I am guilty before God, and so my motivation is somehow to earn God's favor. I have to work my way towards God. Then your activity might be, I might read my Bible to earn God's favor. I might go to church to earn God's favor. I might give to earn God's favor. And by the way, those are really good things that will be deadly with that kind of motivation and identity. It will kill the life of Christ in you. 
if your identity instead of guilt is grace. Where you're like, my identity is I am chosen, adopted, redeemed by God. And so my motivation is I live from favor. I live from blessing. I live from acceptance. And so there's this reality that that when I read my Bible, it's for, I want to get to know the Savior who loves me. Like, I'm so excited. I want to know more of you. I don't feel guilty when I I don't read my Bible. I just want to get to know you more. I I don't feel guilty or bad when I don't go to church. I just want to be in the community of the beloved to celebrate how good God is and what he's done in my life. I give out of the overflow of my heart because I've experienced the grace of God and from blessing. I I want to participate in the grace of what he's doing all around the world. Do you see how that changes every activity in your life? See, grace then fuels your motivation. His grace to me is not out of fact. Grace gives you a new identity, fuels your motivation, and then energizes your activity. Now, what we try to do is change our activity. We want to reverse engineer the grace habit loop. We want to take our activity and change our activity and think that will change us. We might go one step deeper and go, I need to change my motivation. <laughs> and so we're like, okay, I, if I only try harder and somehow adjust like my motivation, and we get stuck in the Christian life. Spiritual formation, the deep work of it, has everything to do with understanding your true identity in Christ and letting that work its way through that process so then that your activity is in alignment with your new identity. Apostle Paul said, no, I worked harder than them all. But not I, the grace of God that was with me. See, I can't earn grace, but I can respond to grace. See, when we take that step and we realize, you know what, I am approved, I am accepted. So in this office and what's going on, and when somebody is disapproving or they're harsh and mean, I'm not going to respond in kind. I'm going to step out in my identity. I don't have to defend myself and somehow figure out and make myself worthy of love. I'm going to just love you because I'm already loved. And when I respond in kind like that, it says, not I, but the grace of God with me. Grace is your companion through your day. And when you take those steps into your new idea, identity, it empowers you. And grace moves and works on your behalf. I love how Dallas Willard says it. The path of spiritual growth and the riches of Christ is not a passive one. Grace is not opposed to effort. <laughs> it is opposed to earning. It's not opposed to effort is action Earning is attitude. You have never seen people more active than those who have been set on fire by the grace of God. When you step into your identity, you are given grace. God meets you there. And by the way, it then reinforces your God-given identity. Grace is more than a vent to be experienced, it is a habit to be embraced. The hard work for us is actually receiving and understanding our identity. 
And the reason it's a process is we've spent years and years reinforcing an identity that's not true of us, embracing things that are not true of us, and that's the input, and we keep putting it in, and we're going to naturally draw back to those things. And he says, no, no, renew your mind. I, I would encourage you, just take these five things, wake up every morning and just begin to go, okay, I'm going to put this in my mind. I have every spiritual blessing in Christ. I'm not in a deficit. I am chosen by God. I'm going to actively receive your grace by, by embracing your identity. I am adopted into the family of God. I am redeemed. I'm valuable. You've pursued me. I'm fully and completely forgiven. And you begin to embrace that in your life. And it begins to shift your motivation and why you do what you do, and what you fundamentally do. There's this um, girl that this family adopted. Uh, Overseas was a part of a really um, abusive family. In fact, they... uh, they would punish her by withholding food from her. And so the fridge and the pantry was locked. It had a, a deadbolt on it and chain. She n- never had access to it. And she would be locked in her room for days on end with no food, water. And so she learned to cope, learned to figure out how to survive. What she would do is, anytime she did get food, she would never eat all of it. She would take some of it and hide it in her room, knowing that the weekend's coming and she's going to be locked away, knowing that she's not going to have food. And so she had this habit of always taking that food and, and hiding it so that she could survive. She gets pulled out of that family and placed into a new family that loves Jesus and loves her. That new family began to find something odd as they kept finding food in this little girl's room. And there's little pieces of food stashed here and there and knowing her history and her background, they sat down with her and said, honey, you never have to hide food again. That fridge will never be locked. In fact, you can have access to it any time you want. The pantry, it's yours. Why? Because you're a part of a new family. You have a new last name. You have a new identity. The old is gone. The new has come. You're a part of my family now, and I have everything that I want to give you. You have everything I want to give you. You know, the parents didn't look at that little girl and go, how could you do that? What's wrong with you? Why do you keep doing that? Don't you know? Those are all shaming words. But I think when we're unpacking this together, I think 
when we have those old habits that get brought into our new reality, we get drugged back by those shaming words, don't we? How could you? What were you thinking? You're a screw up. Why do you keep doing it? See all the good I've given you and you keep doing that? The parents never said that once. You know what they kept doing? They kept speaking her new identity over her. You're loved. You're valued. You're part of a new family. You'll never go and want ever again. And we're going to keep speaking it over you until you know it, until you believe it, until finally one day, just automatically, because that's how habits work. Habit is something that you work on until it becomes automatic, until automatically you just respond because I don't have to hide food anymore. In fact, I'm never in the deficit. And you have the God who has given you a new identity, and it is now on for us to recognize and embrace. He's saying, you don't need to hide food anymore. I'm not down on you. I love you. I'm so for you. Would you just come to me? Would you embrace what's already true of you? Jesus, thank you for this morning. God, I know that this sermon is one of the hard ones for us to hear as as there's some old habits and patterns that have just been rooted so deeply and they're rooted connected to our identity and guilt and shame and pain. And right now in this moment as we worship, I ask that you would break the lies in the hearts and minds of those who've come that are not of you. Your word would speak clearly and it would just, like waves of an ocean, wash over them their new identity. And for today, maybe for the first time or a reminder, this is true of me and this is what I get to live out of and that you would begin to shape them by your grace. And so in this moment, may we run to your throne of grace to find mercy and help us in our time of need.